Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. In this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion, I'm joined by Mark Ricks, Director of Wellbeing at Workworld and an associate with the Qualitas Consortium. He's had a varied and interesting career with significant roles in media, including Managing Director of the Manchester Evening News and CEO of the UK's Daily Mail and the General Trust PLC in the UAE. Mark became involved with Wellbeing at Work World after launching the Musket Oman Summit in late 2019, and then in Manchester, where we met, in September 22. Riyadh in Saudi Arabia is the latest addition to the Global Programme of Summits, and this was launched in February 2023. Mark keeps himself busy as, additionally, he acts for Qualitas Consortium in the UK, a training and advisory company and delivery partner of the NHS, advising partners in GP practices within primary care in England on business leadership, strategy and business transformation. He's a passionate believer that in order to remain competitive, retain top talent and excel in the long run, organisations need to prioritise their employee wellbeing and mental health strategies. I can't wait for you to hear his insights on global wellbeing trends. Let's get started, Rebels. Thanks for joining us on the Wellbeing Rebellion, Mark. My pleasure. I couldn't wait to be here. It's great. Oh, good. How exciting. It is exciting, particularly because you are the only person in my career so far who has such a global perspective on mental health and wellbeing, um, given the work that you do at Wellbeing at Work World. And I just think it's something that the audience will be excited and interested to know that mental health isn't just something that we deal with here in the West, but it's it's affecting everyone globally and how we're approaching it. So yeah. I'm excited to talk to you. Yes. Um, but before we dive into all that stuff, I just wanted to know a little bit more about you, Can you talk to us a little bit about your own personal experiences with mental health and well-being? Have you ever struggled with it? Yeah, well, I thought about this question. And on reflection, I think the lockdown in 2020 was a struggle. Um, Although at the time I didn't think it was the case, to be honest. Uh, I was living in Oman with my wife, Zoe. And I was a CEO of a media company at the time. We published a national daily newspaper, had a weekly magazine, Mm. websites, we ran events, that kind of thing. Um, And the government banned all printed media and we had to move to digital publishing like overnight um, because they believed that anything printed is going to pass COVID on, right? Okay. And to be fair... Who the hell knew, right? Nobody knew. Mm. It was unprecedented. So we, yeah. you know, we just took it as good advice, really. But that was our business. So it was pretty devastating. Um, and that was on top of being restricted to your home and allowed out for an hour a day only to exercise and get essentials. So not different to anywhere else in the world, I suspect. Uh, but we did have military helicopters flying around and drones and the police making sure you were doing what you should be doing. And we were in a foreign country, so, you know, it's a little bit scary. 
Mm. Um, so an unprecedented situation in a foreign country, away from family, and it was hard for everyone. Um, this was just our version of hard, right? And I, I, I did enjoy the solitude and the huge amounts of time I suddenly had to do things uh, I had wanted to do, but, you know, never seemed to really have the time, like learning guitar solos or reading or Netflix or, you know. Um, and I think other than being with my wife and exercising more, I became a bit antisocial. Uh, a bit of a hermit? Yeah, a bit reclusive, actually. That's mm. the word I would use. Um, a little bit withdrawn, and that just isn't me, you know. I'm, that's not my personality at all. This was the second year of my tenure as CEO of this company, and I think the close bonds I'd formed in my first year with the team actually enabled a successful virtual operation that we switched to and and a support network, I guess, uh, in those times. Um, the business was in trouble, you know, with cash flow and no advertising revenue, no events. We weren't allowed to print. We had a printing our own printing press. When I think about those times, it was really horrible because I, I never thought I'd ever suffered from any kind of mental health issue. But mm-hmm. I certainly think I did then. And I think good old-fashioned, regular, daily communication with staff was the key, the primary driver being to ensure their well-being, when I think about it, their safety both physical in some cases and psychologically. You know, even to the point of food and shelter, don't forget we were in Oman. You know, I had staff that were struggling to put food on the table for their families because uh, mm. we had had to, you know, suspend salaries and all kinds of things. It was, it was pretty Maslow-esque, you know, the basic needs uh, triangle. We were right at the bottom. Um, and there was no furlough scheme going on there or anything like that, and people needed help and support. So I think, in short, to answer the question, when have I suffered personally with mental health? I think then. And I guess a lot of our listeners will identify with that period, the first year or so, COVID, being mentally very challenging. They'll all identify with that. But it does leave me a bit curious how you went from a career in the media. You said you were working in publishing to working in well-being at work world, particularly if you hadn't experienced mental health issues personally beforehand. What happened was I'd gone to Dubai for a weekend. You can drive to Dubai from uh, Oman. In fact, from where I was living, it was five hours to Dubai Mall, door to door. Okay. (laughs) So if you wanted a new shirt or some nice shoes, you go to Dubai, right? Um, they just didn't have uh, stuff in Oman. So um, what happened was I was there for a weekend and I met a guy at uh, an event, a friend's uh, engagement party, and he was in Dubai to run his well-being at work event, which was happening for the fifth year. And it was very successful there. Uh And we got talking at this event, and I said, look, I've come from Oman. It's a nascent conversation in that country, I can assure you, at that point in 2019. Mm. Um, And I suggested that we do a well-being uh, at work event in Muscat. So we did a deal and basically launched the event, and we did that in December of 2019. And it went very well. Uh, it would still be running had we not gone into COVID. So 
that was my first introduction, really. But I think it really appealed to me because the values that he espoused and, and, and that his organization lived by fit very closely to my own kind of personal approach and values. And, and I, I just liked it. I felt it was an it was a good thing to do you know and um it really is a good it. thing to do it is you are definitely not wrong no it's a good that. thing to do and it was what was a good thing to do and goes he was to actually draw a line in the sand forgive the pun and say to the omani marketplace guys we need to have this conversation mm. so who's going to come forward which companies are going to talk about what they're doing in the workplace uh, to address and improve mental health and uh, the overall well-being of uh, their employers, who's going to step up? And we got some local companies and some international companies that were based there to take part. It was very engaging, great day, and uh, yeah, it was very worthwhile. So I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, right, um, if I go back to the UK, which uh, was my plan at the time. Um, I'll get more involved uh, and, and learn more about this. And it's, it's mm-hmm. something I want to be involved with and push forward. And the company Wellbeing at Work is all, is is basically the brand. The company's called Sonas Events. Um, and um, they have eight summits around the world, you know, and I, I got involved on the basis of launching um, last year the event in Manchester, which made our London event, um, extended our London event, so we could now claim to have a UK event. Mm -hmm. And then on the back of the Dubai event, um, we launched Riyadh in Saudi Arabia three weeks ago uh, and now claim to have a Middle East event, which we can genuinely do because Saudi Arabia is 80% of the region's GDP, so it's a big economy. uh, and, And it's quite amazing what's going on there. And from a mental health and well-being perspective, if Oman was a nascent conversation, this really is. So we're, we're in right at the start and there's, you know, a big, big appetite for companies to learn more and uh, to be seen to be doing the right things, but actually want to do the right things. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and through having robust and well-crafted strategies for, for uh, well-being, um, they will, uh, you know, improve their sustainability, competitiveness, and so on and so forth. So it's exciting to see that energy and that enthusiasm for for this uh, subject. Listen, you you just inspire so many questions in my mind. Um, the the first of which, though, I think we should take it back to the beginning because not yeah. all of the audience will have heard of well being at work world. So here's a chance. To publicize what it is you do and, um, you know, what what is it you stand for? You talked about the principles that uh, Chris has. Yeah, Chris Cummings is the CEO. He started the business in 2014. He worked for an international events business and felt he could do it himself. And through personal experience, he was on a mission. We all need a big hairy goal, right? So mm-hmm. this was about encouraging every single company on the planet to prioritize strategically well-being and mental health in the workplace. That's it. And that's the mission. That's that's the journey we are on. And, Hallelujah. Yeah. And, and you know what, right? When I first heard that, I thought, yeah, okay. But 
it's you know this is a, a business it's got to make money right a business is a machine for profit that's what it is but mm-hmm. actually the underlying mission and purpose um chris and all the team now um are absolutely signed up to that and believe it right and and we have a smaller uh our summits of which there are eight now globally are smaller than some uh, in the same space but our our editorial agenda our quality of delegates and our attention to the topics that we cover and feature at our summit stand us apart and and you were there and goes in September last year in Manchester that's how we met that's how we met and you you I can attest to, to everything that you're saying. It yeah. is a wonderful event for anybody who takes seriously the need to improve employee engagement and productivity through focus and support with the mental health and well-being. Full stop. So, yeah. you know, I encourage everybody who's listening, who's in HR or in the mental health and well-being space to attend a well-being at world uh, summit because it, it it really is a place where you can learn and grow uh, in your understanding of what it takes to do just what Chris is talking about, strategically embed mental health and well-being into your organization's culture. And as anybody who's listened to the podcast before knows, that's exactly what we at Aurora stand for because we know it's the only way it's going to work. Yeah, and I would I would say, right, without using all the time I have with you um, <laughs> on my commercial for well-being at work. Um, but our, our next event is at, uh, at the end of um, April and we're launching in Singapore and Bangalore. We tend to have an in-person event on the Tuesday. We have virtual sessions on a Wednesday and then an in-person event on a Thursday in the country or region we're in. So, for example, in February, it was uh, Riyadh on the Tuesday Virtual session, then Dubai in person on Thursday with like 200 people at each event and um, great speakers, wonderful sponsors and a real community that has been built over the years and now linked globally through our online hub. If you go to wellbeingatwork.world, that's our website. You can see all our events when they are around the world. And for any global sponsors listening, love to talk to you. Um, (laughs) And we'll include links. It's a great platform. And and Manchester and London is in September. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that as well. And and my obviously that's my, my own focus. But, you know, one of the questions you asked me was, you know, about the rest of the world. Um, I think that there are local nuances, obviously, in the different countries and regions um, and cultures and challenges and so on to providing a personalized uh, approach to well-being strategy. That's really, really important. You know, even the climate and the religion, the prevailing religion, that, that kind of thing needs to be thought about because ultimately, you know, we're all human beings. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. You know, uh, if you feel that your organization cares for you and the culture is open and authentic, you'll perform better, you know. And it's impossible anywhere now for organizations to ignore this post-pandemic era, I guess, and what, you know, particularly millennials and and even the alpha generation, which I just heard about, right? Mm -hmm. If you're born after 2010, you're an alpha. Um, They will increasingly demand 
that their mental health and well-being needs are catered for in any organization that they might be thinking of joining. So do your values as an employer stand up to theirs? You know, it's all changed, right? They're interviewing you now. Um, and the question is, are you changing? So, yeah, it's um, it's quite interesting globally to see the commonality in many ways of, so, the, of the issue. So do you notice any distinct differences? You mentioned twice that, you know, in the Middle East, in Oman and in, in Saudi Arabia, it's a very nascent conversation. It's new. It's not something that was focused on before. Are you noticing differences between the kinds of conversations that are happening, the kinds of, let's think of investments, perhaps, in mental health and well-being for employees that are happening over there versus what we are seeing here in the West? Um, it's a tough question. One company I would, I would put as an example from Saudi Arabia is Aramco, Saudi Aramco. Oil which is the company. biggest company in Saudi Arabia and probably one of, by market cap, one of the biggest companies in the world. They've got right. a quarter of a million employees um, globally. Mm-hmm. And they are really, really leading the way and wanting to position themselves as leading the way in, in uh, excellence, in well-being for their employees and mental health. And not only for their employees, mm-hmm. but also for the thousands of employees that their contractors actually bring to their organization. So if you're a contractor wanting to work with this company, if your policies and strategies don't stand up, you're not getting the gut, you're, you're not getting the gig, you know, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. So that was really refreshing to, to hear. Um, and, you know, they're very keen uh you know, to progress this and, and be at the vanguard of this, uh, this, this whole movement. So, and that's a great thing for a nation that, that the, the leading um, employer, if mm-hmm. you like, is taking a stand because if it's good for them, it's good for everybody. So that's what gives us heart, myself and Chris and, and, and the team, you know, that we're in the right place there. We, we, we're pushing the right agenda. Uh, Dubai, UAE, I would say, is ahead of the game by five years, probably. I mean, it's it's more developed in terms of the well-being and mental health discussion. There's no doubt so about that. What do they do over there? Well, I think there's a, obviously a lot of international company. Well, there is in Saudi Arabia, but there's a lot of um, international companies uh, located in the UAE who... Mm-hmm are following and observing their global strategies. You know, it doesn't stop just because you go to the Middle East. So I wouldn't say they're doing anything different. They've just been doing it longer and just probably more advanced. Um, and more, you know, nobody's, in, in Saudi, nobody's gone there to say, come and talk about what you're doing. Now we have, you know. Whereas in, in the UAE, that's not the case. Uh, there are a number of events that, are addressing this this whole matter you know and i bet it's a surprise to people listening as it was to me to be honest that that the middle east as a region is um picking up the the is the expression picking up this mantle of of mental health because yeah i think so it, yeah it's and not I, something I, that we thought that would happen i think it has to happen there's the 
it has to happen because Saudi particularly, uh, as I say, is like 80% of the region's economy. So there's so many things going on there um, in terms of opening up as a, a nation to the rest of the world, to become mm. a tourist hub, um, to be attractive as a, as a destination, um, for companies to attract the right talent to make that happen uh, they're going to have to you know they're going to have to be uh, robust in 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 the way that they engage with their employees so it, it just has to happen you know nothing's going to stop this wave and it's just mm-hmm. going to get bigger um the investment in that country now is in, in infrastructure is in, incredible it really is incredible um and I think there are other countries in the Middle East that will pick up this mantle as well. So, you know, Egypt, uh, North African countries as well. So it's it's just a wave that's getting bigger and bigger. Um, and, and we're just experiencing it, you know, at the outset in, in Saudi Arabia right now. Mm-hmm. But certainly, you know, it's... Uh, it's a wonderful thing to see and listen to and, and, and being there was exhilarating, actually. I think that's a good word, actually. It was exhilarating. And, and what about in the UK? You said you started with the summit in London and you it, this extended to Manchester where we met. Yeah. Um, have you noticed the conversation move on from when you first started to, to now? Are organisations really starting to take their obligation to their employees to help them with their mental health and well-being more seriously? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, obviously, things have impacted organizations' ability sometimes to invest. Um, we all know what's going on around the world, so it, yeah. it's, it's not the easiest time. I think what I've noticed is that there's a greater willingness to talk about subjects that you know might not have been talked about, for example. Um, Such as? Well, I had an hour's discussion the other day with... Uh, a company, um, we, we were discussing the menopause, right? Right. And, you know, thinking about our editorial agenda for Manchester, mm-hmm. this is something we should be dealing with, right? Because until, for example, Davina McCall, right. what she did on Channel 4, which, you know, if you watch those programs, it's, it's amazing, yeah? Um, and it's amazing that those conversations um, – aren't commonplace yeah so if you know if organizations really understand that uh deeply understand it uh then you know women wouldn't be stigmatized as the first point you wouldn't lose talent um it's the right thing to do it affects not only people in the workplace, but families and society generally. So it's something that should be fully understood. And, and those kind of conversations are, are starting to happen, which maybe two, three years ago, certainly no man, when we launched the event, that wasn't on the uh, on the agenda, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was more about um, what kind of bonus scheme have you got in place? Um, okay. Those kind of very obvious uh, employee benefit kind of discussions. Um, less about the mental health side, that's become more prevalent. Um, So, yeah, it is moving on. Um, And I think there's a much broader willingness to discuss everything that affects people in organisations and how companies need to deal with that. 
and I think that's the point, right? You you summed it up quite eloquently there as everything that affects people. If your organization requires people in order to function, then you need to get to know how they work, right? Like any machine, I see it. You need to understand how they work, whether it's because a woman is going through menopause or because she's she's experienced um, pregnancy loss or yeah. because he has lost a parent, he's bereaved of a parent or bereaved of a child or because they have a um, chronic pain disorder which impacts their ability to cope at work and sometimes touches on their mental health or because they suffer with a mental health condition that they've had since childhood or because it doesn't really matter. We just need to be able to treat individuals and know how to engage with them in a way that's authentic, right? Because we're all really savvy. We all know when we're just being played. So it needs to be authentic and it needs to truly offer help so that individuals can access their their best selves the bit of them that really brings out the creativity and the productivity in the work that they do it shouldn't really matter what that conversation is yeah uh, and it 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 too often does and i love the uh, research that you presented with the baby about psychological, psychological. safety yeah. and that you know one in th- i think it was one in 3 people have an un- this is the key word, right? Undisclosed yeah. mental health issues. So, oh, you were listening. Yeah, and I mean, what's that all about? One third. And then this was the best, well, not the best bit, the horrible bit, scary bit. Mm. 70%, I think it was, or over 70% of those people don't talk about it because of fear of being stigmatized, impairing their career, yeah. affecting their relationships at work, yeah. their ability to be promoted. I mean, if that's true, that's a very, very damaging indictment. It is. And yet it's not surprising because in the work that we do, we come across people who genuinely have this fear of... uh, Fear seems like such a big word, like we're expecting people to be cowering, but they just have a reticence, a reluctance to be completely open and vulnerable, even at the same time, that they're asking others to be open and vulnerable with them, particularly if they are leaders in the business, senior managers, they feel that they cannot let go, right? They cannot be open. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. Yeah. So I, I, I believe the numbers, well, the research is there. It is true. I can also understand it personally, having been through it. I know exactly what you mean. You don't want people to look at you differently. You don't want people to treat you differently. You don't want people to judge you any more than you are already judging yourself. It is too big a risk. And so that's why the numbers keep going in the wrong direction for mental health and well-being and when we're we're even though we're investing more we're talking more we're doing so much more we're not seeing an improvement is because well how many of us actually get 
the real help that we need, it, not not enough. We're, we're talking that it's okay, it's, it's okay to not be okay and it's important to talk. How many people actually talk? When you talk about mental health first aiders in an organisation, I have nothing against mental health first aiders. I am one. Nothing against it. I want you to find out how many people actually go and talk to those mental health first aiders. Yeah, yeah. How many people actually go and use them? And if they do, or EAPs, how many people actually go and use their EAPs? It's a shockingly small amount. So that stat, like you mentioned, you picked out the undisclosed um, conditions that we're all, not we're all, but so many people are carrying for fear of a hundred different things, that is what we need to actually crack. Right. And that actually is not rocket science, is it? Because that is all about training managers to coach mm-hmm. and, and becoming becoming a less directive environment in, in business. You know, the old management styles aren't going to cut it anymore. You, you've got to listen and um, ask questions and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, some of the trends, I think, that we'll see over the next couple of years um, some and some key areas of focus uh, are worth thinking about, you know. Because um, mm-hmm. I think many organisations that we see have been implementing short-term solutions, really, during the pandemic. Yeah. Now reviewing them, those programmes, and thinking more strategically obviously because of our events, right? Um, And focusing data is really clear. And people are leaving organizations that don't prioritize their well-being. Mm. So when they're they're looking for a new job, as we said earlier, you know, talent will question the company's position. And I think, you know, there's a general stat that flies around that those companies that do prioritize their well-being strategically will outperform their competitors by 20% at least. You know, there's so many resources to help companies. But there's also there's also this idea that you can just go and buy well-being off the shelf. You know, you're yes. going to have some well-being, thank uh, you, uh, open the box. Well, it's not like that, is it? It's, it's a, no. That is the, the output of all the things you do would create an index of well-being or, a, you know, environment yeah. of well-being on whatever scale that's on and and the kind of you know resources you've mentioned them you know mental health first aiders for example um in fact aramco in saudi um virgin atlantic airways they're they're employing mental health first aiders you know if mm-hmm. it's good enough for these big companies to even think about that never mind make the investment it's it's got to be right for everybody eaps you know the employment assistance programs we Financial well-being, um, mm-hmm. counselling and support for employees. Uh, that's a big source of anxiety and stress and, you know. Yeah. But if you don't ask the question, if you're not talking to people and listening, actively, truly listening as an employer, and not only doing that but recording it and acting on it, uh, you'll never acting know. Acting on it. And this is the thing. I mean, uh... Lots of organizations, as you say, think that well-being, look at it as another to-do item that they can check off their list once they've rolled out one training scheme or uh, trained up 10 mental health first aiders. It That's not the way it works. It is about creating a culture of care, right? So that yeah. it doesn't matter 
who is affected or why they're impacted, that they will get signposted to the right sort of help for their need, right? Whether that's financial or mental or physical, regardless. Um, but too many organizations see, well, I've done the mental health first aid thing and I've, I've done the EAP thing, so I've done well-being. And that's yep. not what it's about. And this is what the whole Rebellion podcast is about, is, is about getting people to understand. It's about creating or changing cultures so that employees enjoy being in your workplace. That's how you're going to get the most out of them. I agree. And and my big thing is, right, I, I trained as a coach and I, I, act, I do coach now and stuff. Um, and it's fantastic. And I think that, you know, seeing this shift towards organizations realizing that their managers need mm. to be trained as coaches. They need to understand how to coach. It's the key to closing that gap between what we know and how we behave, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the same for organizations. So, you know, it supports people's basic psychological needs of autonomy and mastery and relatedness. Um, you know, and I think people need to feel they've got a choice. Um, and when that isn't satisfied, it leads to disengagement. So, you know, uh, when it's effectively leveraged in organizations, people can develop, you know, more effectiveness when managing challenges of work and, and their lives, I guess. And it enhances a person's sense of connection and belonging. And yeah, I think coaching is a really, really important thing. Um, for organizations like to invest in. I think that's a that's a trend that you're going to see more and more investment in coaching. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, I want to win more coaching uh, work. <laughs> I believe it. It's a fact. Um, Fantastic. It's a fact. And, and to be fair, like 20, even 30 years ago, mm -hmm. for me, when I was working in the Guardian Media Group, I would say the Guardian Media Group um, through the 90s and uh, the early part of the 2000s, was brilliant at well-being and mental health and it, as an employer, right? And that, right. that was way before the conversation. Um, and coaching was a big thing. And it was always, you know, drilled into me as a manager that this is important. Um, yeah. So Which is probably why you have such a great grasp of what's required to, to, to make sure your employees are functioning well and healthily. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's things like there's so much hybrid working going on, right? So when, you know, as a manager, if you ask yourself, if you've got a team of 60 people or whatever, mm -hmm. and 30% of them are working remotely, when was the last time you rang each of them and asked them how they're doing, you know? It puts a lot of pressure on managers themselves who are, we, uh, we call them the squeezed middle because... They've got so much to deal with. Do they now have to be coaches and therapists as well as timekeepers and project specialists? That's the concern a lot of the line managers we engage with have is how am I supposed to fit doing all of this in? Well, there's the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. 
Who wants to be a manager anyway? You know, be a leader. <laughs> That's a different question. Yeah, but... of course it is. You can have a whole podcast on managers or leaders, right? Um, we will. <laughs> we will. But what we say is that, you know, if you if you do that piece, the caring and empowering your people piece well, the rest of it, the amount of time you have to spend troubleshooting and double checking and doing all that kind of stuff, the, I don't know what you call that, the school mommy bit or yeah. will, will go down. Uh, totally. It, uh, yeah. yeah, empower so, people, right? Exactly. That's I'm not saying you can... I'm not advocating that you can delegate the responsibility um, ultimately, but, you know, people need to have autonomy and, you know, hire good people, get out of the way, let them get on with it, you know. Oh, and the other thing, you know, this whole well-being thing, it's not about pool tables and bean bags and balls Thank of you. fruit Preach. and neck massages at your desk and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more than that, right? It's a lot more than that. Yeah. I was reading the Top Employers Institute World of Work Trends Report 2023. Worth reading this one, yeah? Mm-hmm. And it says one of the, there's like three things, you know, three key things that are going to happen. This is for this is for expo- companies that are, if you like, m- going to be master practitioners in engagement with their workforce and well-being and mental health. But there'll be an unprecedented level of personalization in employees' everyday experience. So it's going to go from, you know, people-centric focus to person-centered centric mm-hmm. focus. Mm-hmm. Okay. So drilling down to an individual level. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so that individualization, I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the strategies and, and uh, solutions mm. that we'll be talking about going forward. Secondly that leaders need new skills, coaching and listening to the heartbeat of their organization. Yes. Um, AON, for example, in the US, mm. one of our speakers in New York a couple of weeks ago, talking about exit interviews and how they capture that data uh, and it feeds into a human sustainability index and, and helps them then feed back into the organization to managers and strategies about you know, how to improve the organization. So absolutely, you know, brilliant um, uh, podcast. You can see it on our Wellbeing at Work hub. You have to join and subscribe. It's very worth it. Lots of research, white papers, webinars. Look, Mm -hmm. if you're an HR professional, it's a place to be a member. This lady was called Selma Hamisa Aon. And um, exit interview data capture, really, really good. Worth seeing how a leading organization does that right that's one of the things about listening right staff surveys obviously is a, you know another one yeah but the, the many tools but this was number two leaders will need new skills coaching and listening to the heartbeat of their organization but underlining listening with truly listening actively yeah, yeah. and then the third thing was the clear commitment to a positive impact that the organization is having um so it's like the new north star they call it uh so does it have a lived purpose and does it have enlightened attitudes to issues such as you know diversity and inclusion for example or you mm-hmm. know whatever it might be and mm-hmm. sustainability through a positive wider impact so in other words how, how 
is the company behaving and how is it perceived as a good employer? Those three things, I would say, are the three key words at the moment. Listening, individualization, and company purpose. If those things are happening and being focused on, then the well-being and mental health movement's in, in, a, in a good place if everyone's focused on that. Well, thank you so much, Mark. You've shared so many insights. And I know uh, we could talk for hours. And I'll be honest, I expect our listeners will hear from you again because I've really enjoyed this conversation. So I hope you'll join us on the podcast at a later date and find out to. whether those three uh, trends um, have materialized. But before I let you go, I do want to ask you our signature question. Okay. As a fellow well-being rebel, which I know you are, what is the one change that you would like to see implemented in workplace well-being? Well, that's an easy one for me to answer. I would like to see evidence that every company, any company that employs staff has budgeted and executed an investment in coaching leaders of those people. I can only say amen to that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Thank it's you. It's great to see you. Uh, see you soon, hopefully, and keep well. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Take okay. care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show note and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.